It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 140 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. That's in case you haven't been following along. You don't know where we're at. We're jumping I really all over don't. the place. I know you don't. <laughs> Actually, I was trying to pretend that was for the audience and new listeners, but really, yeah, it was just for you to remind you. Yeah, this is Curse of the Black Pearl. It's where it all started back in 2003. I thought I would kick off the show with a clip from this year's D23 Expo Pirates of the Caribbean 50th anniversary panel since you mentioned storytelling yesterday. This is Marty Schuyler, who was the Walt Disney Company's international ambassador for Imagineering which is also eerily similar to the title that I have with Disney. That your toilet master. <laughs> That's international ambassador for toilet masters. <laughs> okay. How dare you. <laughs> he was formerly vice president of concepts and planning for the company before being promoted to president, and then he eventually took on a position of vice chairman and principal creative executive for the company before he ended up leaving. And since... He was a part of the creation of Pirates of the Caribbean ride. I thought him talking about it as a game changer was awesome. So I thought I would just share this brief clip. And the first question would have to be, we're celebrating 50 years, 50 years of this amazing attraction. The, the question is, it's appeal, why it's endured, what makes it so special, um, what makes it so unique. I'd love to hear from all of you about this. You know, Michael, my, I've always felt that Pirates of the Caribbean really changed the whole theme park industry because uh, it represented the great storytelling that Walt brought to the whole industry. If you think about the amusement parks before Disneyland, they were all shoot the shoots and imagine going, uh, there are only so many times you could go through the tunnel of love, right? <laughs> so here is, is a really great story that is told through tremendous technology and new ways of uh, bringing things to life in an experiential way. And uh, to me, that has always made it the quintessential attraction in, in, in any park. And frankly, for me, I always measured whatever we did against the Pirates of the Caribbean here at Disneyland. I might share another clip tomorrow that I found interesting as well, in which Marty tells the story of the ride coming together in terms of the script and links to the famous and maybe now infamous bride auction scene and a cocktail party. So I'll just leave it there for now. But him saying that he kind of measures everything else against Pirates of the Caribbean ride for Disneyland and their attractions, that really is a showcase of like, this is the gold standard that they use to create rides. Right. And even that it still holds up to this day. Oh, yeah. It's not just about the ride, because you can bring in new technology. I mean, there's new rides. Can't even imagine what's going to happen in Star Wars land. But 
the fact that they still look back at Pirates of the Caribbean and that it's a story that's going on, that's just pretty incredible that it holds up. Yeah. That groundbreaking ride becomes a groundbreaking movie and then it still holds up and they still look back on it. At least he does anyways. Well, I was just reading one of the books we have and it said that Pirates of the Caribbean ride is as popular today as it was when they first opened it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But there's so much with it, though. I think that it's so much nostalgia with it. Oh, yeah. Just even as kids, and I think that's part of it. When I went there, and we've talked about this a number of times, you feel like you're in a pirate world. Yeah. And you start making up your own stories. And I'm infamous have those stories that I've told of how I completely thought it was a reversal and (laughs) the skeletons were fighting and all this. It's like I took some kind of Jason and the Argonauts theme and made it into a movie there in the ride. But... That's the point. Everybody has their own unique memories and experiences with that. And I don't think you really have that with any of the other rides there. For some reason, this is the one that resonates with everybody. And I don't know if it's because I'm prejudiced about it because as a kid I went through it and I had those experiences. I wonder if I were to go through all the different types of rides now, would I still have that same affection for it? But apparently what you said is that it's still that really popular ride, then maybe I still would. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But see, that's the thing. Even like the Magic of Star Tours, which was really a big ride. And I remember when going to Disneyland, if you wanted to go see Star Tours, you'd like book it as soon as it opened to run and get in line so you weren't there all day. Right. But those aren't the memories I have of going into Star Tours. The ones that I have are Pirates of the Caribbean. I remember in the line. I mean, I remember Star Tours and stuff, but I don't have that same feelings about Star Tours, for instance, as I do Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, it's just so, it's a story. It's like you're living in this story. The other ones are rides. This is not a ride. This this is putting you in a movie. This is putting you in a show. Right. You're part of it. Right. That's what it is. Yeah. It's kind of like a small world, but way, way better with interaction. (laughs) Now, if the people in small world, all those little animatronics were shooting and killing each other. Oh, jeez. Then that would be good. There's this comic that I like. It's called I Hate Fairyland. Yeah. That's what Small World could be. If they could change It's a Small World to I Hate Fairyland, then it'd be awesome. It might just be like a modern Pirates of the Caribbean experience. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, you have to go look it up. It's by Scotty Young, and it's pretty cool. I think that's exactly the opposite of what they're trying to do with It's a Small World. Uh, But the little girl goes around killing everything. Isn't that I, the point of it's a exactly small world? Or opposite. they're trying to bring people together. Yes. She's trying to escape Fairyland because she's been trapped there. People go to It's a Small World because they want to celebrate diversity and inclusion yes. and all the cultures of the world. I'm going towards I Hate Fairyland. <laughs> In the previous minute, everyone wants to be a master. From drapers to greens to weapons. And if having that most coveted title escapes you, well, hell. There's never been a better time to go onto that magical internet world. Head on over to IMDB and simply update your title. Nothing says taking the initiative like changing the past and giving yourself a leg up in this dog-eat-dog world. At the click of a button, you too can go from dubbing apprentice to assistant sound editor. Voila! (laughs) I'm talking about you, Joe. I got my eye on you. Minute 140 begins with computer graphics supervisor Patrick T. Myers followed by a list of technical directors and CG animators. The minute ends with additional effects crediting Boy Wonder, CIS, Hollywood, Digiscope, and digital artist Amit DeWall takes us to the end of the 60 seconds. 
there's just something that just doesn't have a good ring about these minute descriptions like it did in the actual movie. Just something. It's something there. I mean, it kind of gives you a point of what's going on, but you know, it's just not fun. This okay, is maybe a the minute. rehash ones are okay, but the actual minute breakdown, just a kind of quick thing. Oh, I'm just not happy this with this. This is just a minute full of special effects people. Yeah, I wish I was one of them. <laughs> you went the wrong direction. You bet you... I did. I screwed the pooch. Oh, uh... I wanted to do this biology and science and when I could have been in the computer science. How do you feel about that? I'll tell you how I feel about that. Give me some rum. I'm going to drink those problems away. That, that darn recruiter. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go back and bitch slap that lady. Look what you did to me. She pushed you in the wrong direction. Exactly. She couldn't see the future. Yeah. I'm going to go slap her down. I tell you. But hands down, the best title found in this minute is none other than belonging to Travis Bowman. And he's credited as Inferno Artist. Nothing says happy day like being at an inferno. Inferno artist. Inferno artist. That's the feel-good work that gets you through the day, everyone. Yes. That's me being bitter about not being in the special who effects business Is now. this who creates the best fire? That's basically what it is. He's a fire creator. I wasn't so much into Travis himself, and that's no knock on you, Travis, out there. Especially if you were calling to offer me a job as a special effects inferno flame gang boss. Because then I don't actually have to do the work. Because I have no skills in that area. As much as I really was into his awesome job title and not so much on him, I did, out of curiosity, check out his other film work to see if he specialized only in firestorms. But only 27 of the 128 visual effects credits that he has are specifically designated as Inferno. How many was that? 27 out of 128, which is not bad, actually. I mean, that... Does make you an expert in that, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Lately, he's moved out of the fire business and the brimstone business to work on other visual effects. So he probably got tired of the... Fire? The heat. That was it. And I was trying to think, what the hell was going on with this guy in here? But it makes sense, So All the explosions in Port Royal, yeah. on the ships, they had to yeah. enhance all that. They had to add flameage. The beginning of the movie. What's the beginning of the movie? With the ship Oh in my flames. God, there we go. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. The explosions so at the Swan Manor. Didn't I just say the Port Royal? That's no. You didn't say attack. This. You didn't say the Port Swan Royal Manor. That's they're on Port Royal. I didn't know we need to go by each and every spot. We did because we pointed out how far away it was from the port. So no matter what kind of crazy butterfly thoughts that run through your head, the point of the story, the moral to this tale, is that somebody out there, an artist. A visual effects artist for the movies has a job that has Inferno in the title. And his specialty is creating fires of all different kinds. That's the point. And I have something that just may blow your mind. Not visually blow your mind where we're going to need our good friend Inferno man here, Travis, to help out with that. But it'll blow your mind as far as credit talk goes. Oh, really? There was this visual effects company listed in the credits called Boy Wonder. Yeah. Do you know what that's a reference to? Superman. Arr! Superman. How dare you? I don't Get out know. of here. Batman. Thank you. Batman. Batman. The Boy Wonder. Robin. Oh my God. You got it. You did go Superman, but I'm going to forgive you because you did noodle that through. <laughs> You're redeeming yourself from this crazy Port Royal is different place than Elizabeth Swan's mansion. It wasn't different. Whatever. But I was thinking to myself that it was a cool name, a step down from the blatantly calling your company Batman 
because you can't do that. Well, but still, has Marvel that... wouldn't like that. Arr! Marvel, how dare you get out of here? <laughs> what is going on here? Walk the plank. Do you even know what you're talking about over there? Hello. How much rum have you drank before coming on board this episode what is today? It? Oh, DC. DC Comics, Batman. Robin is with Batman. You can't have Robin defecting to Marvel. That's just I, weird. I just didn't remember that. Batman that has a tear in his Batman eye because Robin left and went to Marvel. I just didn't remember that Batman was DC. Robin was thinking, God, you know, the Marvel movies always seem to outdo the DC movies. I'm going to head on over DC? there. Yeah, Superman's DC. What's Marvel? What do you mean, what's Marvel? <laughs> it's Spider-Man? Yeah, Spider-Man's there. Is it Disney Marvel? Yes, Disney bought Marvel. So if there's a crossover, you so, could just see Pirates of the Caribbean with some Marvel characters. Didn't we talk about this crossover stuff before? Yeah. This is all a blur to you. <laughs> so Avengers are all Marvel. Yeah. Okay. Iron Man, all that good stuff. Thank you. This is a person who pays so much attention to minute-by-minute minute analysis that she forgets the movies that actually have this cool Marvel opening logo title. I don't even look at that. That's my point. <laughs> That's my point. People are relying on you to bring a minute breakdown of the movies, and then they're... Not of Marvel movies. Oh, okay. Not of Marvel, just pirates. Yes. Okay. So your attention span to movies is so focused and honed in on pirates that you have to obliterate everything else just to make sure that you keep that laser focus. Yeah. Okay, now I understand. Yeah. I completely got it. I get you. You're just one of... You're like a beautiful mind. You got that right. focused on... <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Anyways, I do like the fact that that's a comic book affiliation, a reference for this company. Boy Wonder. Well, it turns out that company was founded by none other than... Robin? The first Boy Wonder himself, Robin. Burt Seriously? Ward. Yes. From the 1960s Batman show. Wow. Well, I guess he has the right to use it then. He opened it in 2001 and apparently, though, Little Cry closed around 2008 or 2009. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh. Exactly. That's too bad. Poor Boy Wonder. But yeah, Boy Wonder, Burt Ward's visual effects company. Wow. When I was checking on his company, I discovered that a ton of these small visual effects companies seem to open and close on a dime, mostly for bankruptcy. Really? It is actually shocking how many of these things close down. They pop up and shudder, almost like a large popcorn in my hand. Just is obliterated. Any all reason by myself. behind that? Oh yeah, I'll get there. It's no joke, actually. There's even a website. Okay, it's a blog. But it's dedicated to tracking all the visual effects companies that pop up and close. That's how prolific this closing is. That's weird. It's a visual effects company digital graveyard with this website, which is rather appropriate, actually, since it's a digital graveyard. But the crazy thing about this in regards to Curse of the Black Pearl, Boy Wonder is not the only one to make a trip to Davy Jones's locker. If you were to look at the credits, Asylum is now closed. Pacific Title and Art Studio, but then this was relaunched in 2012 after closing in 2009. CIS Hollywood, Gray Matter Effects, Pixel Liberation Front, all of those have closed down and they were part and credited in huh. Curse of the Black Pearl. Gray Matter Effects, is that uh, Aliens? Yeah, it is Aliens. I thought so. Actually, no, that's a wrong reference. It's your brain, Gray Matter. Oh, well, that's dumb. That's right, it's dumb. And interesting enough, the guy who was credited in that, and probably the owner, because I didn't look it up, was his first name was Gray. Oh, okay. Gray Marshall, I think it was. But that's just a tidbit. Scary that I remembered that from the credits. From 2003 to 2013, 21 visual effects companies closed or filed for bankruptcy. 
according to a short documentary, Life After Pi. And they call it Life After Pi because that's when the movie came out, basically. Oh, okay. The Life of Pi. The respected studio Rhythm and Hughes declared bankruptcy 11 days before collecting an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects for the 2012 film Life of Pi. Huh. When the special effects supervisor Bill Westenhofer tried to call attention to the industry's plight in his acceptance speech at the Oscars, producers yeah. cut off his microphone. Huh. The visual effects firms and many other subcontractors, of course, who typically bid for jobs. The idea here and the problem is that they get locked into this bidded amount that they've gone under contract with. Yeah. No matter what actually happens during production. They change something oh. up. It gets delayed. The It's more intensive than they thought or they're adding things. But they're still There's locked no into There's no renegotiating. That's right. So they get mm. locked in and they end up losing money. They end up going bankrupt. Wow. And that's kind of the... Just the thumbnail print of what's actually happening with that. So all of these guys, they go in and negotiate, get the bids, and then they end up working all these crazy long hours over time because they're all on these production schedules that yeah. are really quick. So they have to bring in all these people to do it, and then they just, you know, they don't make any money. Huh. So then they end up folding. Wow. And they call it Life After Pie because that's the movie that kind of snowballed all that you know this company went out of business 11 days before getting the oscar started to bring this plight to it but it was also like hey a lot of these visual effects companies are moving into more digital stuff trying to keep up with the latest trends new ones are popping up and so then it created this thing and we should probably watch after life after life pie of life after pie oh to see what that's about we should probably watch life of pie also we should watch that again that was good mm -hmm. they were talking about how the I didn't really get into the specifics because this isn't Life of Pi minute by minute. But when they were referencing the article and talking to some of the visual effects people, just how many hundreds of people worked for a year or more just to bring that CGI tiger to make it look spot on real. Oh, it was seriously? just insane. Yeah. The number wow. of people that did that was crazy. And that's why. It wasn't this, real in the boat with him? Uh, the first one was they had to shoot it because it ate the actor and then they had to get a new actor. So it's a whole giant mess. Yeah. Causes a problem if you eat the actor. That's right. On oh, some actors, some of them deserve it maybe. They got some attitude. Probably. Toot as I call it. Cloth simulation. Now, there's a lot of cloth simulation artists involved with yeah. this movie. You, and you just see a lot of them in the credits. But then again, it was a groundbreaking special effect that helped bring skeletons to life. Oh, okay. 23 people did nothing but costume simulation on wow. this film yeah and the clothing and stuff and the cloth and this yeah. is simulation we're not talking putting the costumes on thanks penny rose creating a same clothing simulation software had to be done to make this realistic looking garb if you want to call it that for the undead pirates based on what the characters were actually wearing when they weren't skeletons huh so you th don't think about all that yeah. stuff but they had to get a simulation they had to make it look right and move right just like they're Regular clothes that they were wearing and right. the costumes they were wearing. And so it was just a hell of a process. Yeah. Crazy talent of special it effects. Is. But if you look at all the number of special effects on there, all these people, it's just insane to bring a movie like this together. And just even imagine what some of the Marvel movies now, since you brought up comic book movies, they're all special effects. Mm -hmm. How many people are working on that? And the payroll and the bidding process just to make that happen has got to be crazy, especially because if the... People were talking about how movie budgets, you know, they're trying to keep budgets down right. and adhere to budgets. And so they're trying to get this labor as cheaply as possible. And then they hold everybody to it. So producers and movie companies and studios are 
pushing down to keep the prices low, but then they want everything turned around as quickly as possible. They want all, they need all these people to do it. And so these little guys go out of business after so many movies yeah. or, you know, after so many years. Since we were talking about the slaughter of the visual effects companies, I thought this was the perfect time to circle back to some walk the plank history that I failed to mention when we were actually at the walk the plank scene. Can't believe I the screwed heck? that up. Yeah, I completely just lost it. That's what happens when you have a bunch of notes and sometimes it just gets lost in the shuffle. Somebody interrupts you and you have to jump somewhere else and lose what you're... Yeah, that's right, Butterfly. <laughs> And it's so easy to forget things at the time of recording the show, like we were saying, because yeah. of somebody we won't mention. No. He who shall not be named. Banjo? That could be Banjo. But thanks to Benerson Little, we can touch on the subject a bit. And he's the one who authored Golden Age of Piracy. Yes, that means I'm bringing on some history. Pleasing the fans with that bit of realism that reminds us all that skeleton pirates really did walk the earth and sail the waters back in the 1700s. Oh, what a time it was to be alive back then. Skeleton pirates, huh? Hey, that's right. These are like the historical documents in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> They're going to think that skeleton pirates really walk the earth. They're going to be afraid to get any treasure. In all these journals dealing with associated stories written at the time, legal depositions of pirates of the Golden Age, and this is from 1655 to 1725, never is there even a hint that a plank was run out over the gunwale and lashed down. And that was described by Raphael Sabatini in the 1922 novel Captain Blood, His Odyssey. Never is there a suggestion that anyone, this is another quote here, made to walk the plank for their impudence, as Sir Walter Scott wrote in The Pirate in the early 1800s. But this does not mean that no one ever really walked the plank. In 1817, James Hackett, and he sailed aboard the Britannia, and in subsequent writings on his adventure, he described the common process of murdering prisoners at sea. The indiscriminate destruction of prisoners is most generally accomplished by compelling the ill-fated captives to pass through the ceremony. Which is technically called walking the plank. For this purpose, a plank is made fast on the gangway of the ship with one end projecting some feet beyond the side. The wretched victims, a wretched hive of scum and villainy, <laughs> are then forced in succession to proceed along the fatal board, if you want to call it that. Huh. So they walk the plank. Prisoners did. Right. Not pirates. Not pirates. What's interesting, though, about this account from... James Hackett's book in 1818 is that four years later, Sir Walter Scott's book, The Pirate, was published. And a year after his book came out, and this is Sir Walter Scott's, there was an explosion in literary plank walking. Nearly every pirate story then started to use the image of pirates walking the plank and making people walk the plank. Yeah. And when movies came along, they did the same yeah. thing. So it took one guy to describe walking the plank that... People were doing to, for prisoners that they wanted to get rid of at sea or execute at sea. And then it just snowballed. So no matter the origin of the exact truth behind it, whether it was some means of executing prisoners just on the high seas or the idea that if pirates wanted to dispose of somebody, they would just, let's be realistic, throw somebody over the side. Well, yeah. There's not going to be a ceremony there. No. Or if pirates really did engage in a bit of plank walking, it's hard to reconcile the reality of it with the link to romanticized pirates that we have today and these romanticized versions from storytellers and uh -huh. movie producers and screenwriters and things because they took one thing that they thought was cool, Sir Walter Scott used it, and then pretty soon, well, hell, I'm going to include Walk the Plank in my novel. It's like the latest trend. Well, it's much cooler than just throwing somebody over the side. Exactly. Well, there's drama to it because right. they have to actually, it's kind of like a torture. They have to walk out there themselves. Yeah. And if they don't, they got a knife or a sword pointed at their back. And that's actually what was described in Hackett's account is that 
those that decided they weren't going to jump overboard to their death, they did get, say, a sword point in their back that made them jump. And so it's based on some instances of this. And then it just bled into society, kind of became a pop culture thing. So the myth of pirates forcing prisoners to walk the plank has really become both accepted as a fact. Yeah. Because people think it's a fact. Right. And just a method or a mode or however you want to call it, of escapism, this romanticized version of pirates and reading and having fun with it. If you can have fun with walking the plank. Maybe if you're reading the story. Of course you can. There you go. See? As Benerson Little asked, who among us has never jumped off a diving board when a child pretending he or she was walking the plank at the point of a sword? And I thought, you're damn right I did. Yeah. That was crazy. It's just there. (laughs) You just go, you have to. I remember doing that. Yeah. I didn't like it, though, that I had that sword in my back, though. That was, that's shame on you, Heather. But I wasn't a kid, though. Did you have, you had a sword in your back. Look at you. I could see your face. I'm not sure. No. (laughs) What kind of childhood did you have? (laughs) You, you're only talking about a sword in your back. Well, my sister was pretty mean. And that's why she gave me those books recently to make up for that. (laughs) And since this is a Disney movie that we're talking about, Curse of the Black Pearl... I'll end on a quote from Captain Hook, unless you got something else to say. No, go ahead. Yo-ho, yo-ho, the frisky plank. You walks along it so, till it goes down and you goes down to Davy Jones below. And that was comes from Peter Pan with Captain Hook. Oh, really? He says that in there, yeah. So that's what I was going to end on. Very cool. It's not quite bloody, but it does send people to their death. Yes. So I thought that was appropriate. It's actually kind of cool. That's right, it's cool. There we go. So that's all I got today. That's it for Spot me. of history... A spot of crazy special effects stuff. All those visual effects companies that have walked the proverbial plank. Yep. And now we're here. So I guess we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 141 of Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Till then, where's all the laughs? It's kind of a serious episode today, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh, it's a dour, dour hour. All those sad visual effects companies. Kind of ended on a weird, sad note. This was not one of those fun episodes. This was no. more serious and death and... Walking the plank. Yeah. And, yeah. What's up with that? I don't know what happened. So keep your horns swoggling to a minimum and your plank walking to a maximum, as long as it's in a pool for fun. If you're doing it off a ship, I better hope you're keeping that to a minimum. Okay, we'll see you next time. Now get me that grog. Heather! Heather! Pimey, she always disappears right after the show. Get me my grog, she says. Probably at the Faithful Bride Tavern. Again. Heather, are you in there? Bring me my grog, you scurvy barkeep. Mother's love. What are you doing in here? You always take off before telling everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. So get on with it, Savvy. I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. That means no. I know what it means. It means you're getting another rum, and I'm thanking the listeners. Thanks for listening, Scallywags. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out, and we'd greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might feature your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. If you're interested in best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are on blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy. Now get out of here, you filthy bilge rats. Oh.